And so as we are bringing a year to the close, we give thanks to God for allowing us to have this Thanksgiving. Uh, the fact that we have lived one more year is grace of God, and because of this grace, we give thanks. Amen. This is the privilege of us as children of the faith that no matter the circumstances, we can give thanks. Even in front of death, we can give thanks. This is the privilege we have as men of faith. What is the expression of the maturity of faith? What can you, uh, what can gauge their maturity? There are many things that we could use, but amongst those, one of them is thanksgiving. The mature one will give thanks. And so the weaker your faith is, the more you will um, complain, the less you will be able to believe in God. The less you give thanks means the less you are believing in God's hand working in your life. It means that you're unable to believe that whatever He gives, it is for your good. And so from your lips, what is, examine what you say. How much thanksgiving am I giving throughout the day? And there's some in our church who are always saying thanks, always saying thanks. But there's also people who are on the opposite end. Their face is always shriveled up, always shriveled up in their brow, <clears throat> and their face is always downcast. And so look around you if you see anyone like that and declare to them, repent. Okay, repent. Because spiritually speaking, there is a problem. And so look, uh, it's hard to describe the grace of God with one characteristic because it all flows in a single current. For example, as it says in Galatians 2.20, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have one of those fruit, it's all there. If you have love, how can you not rejoice? And if you have rejoice, how could you not be at peace with your neighbors? <clears throat> and so all of these fruits are bound as one. What that means is that if you bear all, if you're bound in love, you're bound in all. And so if you lose one, you lose all. If I don't have gratefulness, it means I'm losing faith. And if I'm losing faith, I am losing uh, joy. And that means you're losing love, obviously. And so, thanksgiving is also from the perspective that you have all the fruits of the Spirit. And so if you're in faith, you will find yourself giving thanks at all times. Not because of certain circumstances, but just everything is gracious. Even sometimes there's nothing to give thanks for, but you give thanks because of this fresh air. 
and you see all these fruits before you. And none of these fruits were out of our works, is it? Out of our effort. No, the tree bore the, these fruits. And in the same way, when we live in God, we just naturally bear fruit. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, let us make a determination to give thanks to God, to actively give thanks to God. And Koreans as a whole, we, we tend to not express ourselves. That is not a good thing, actually. You need to express it. I'm, imagine what strength I would gain if you were to come to me and say thanks for all the hard work throughout this past year. But because your lips are always sealed shut, I don't know if you're receiving grace or not. So I'll say, are you receiving grace? What's sad is, is that it's always I have to say things like this in order for you guys to respond this way. But please, express yourselves. And so let's bless the person next to you that uh, I'm grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that you are play the piano for me. I'm grateful for this great interpreter to interpret next to me. Whatever Sergio wears looks expensive. My clothes look cheap next to his. Oh, it looks expensive. But really, we're grateful, amen? And especially, um, you all know that God has been leading our church in good ways, yes? But especially during the pandemic, uh, how much God has established us in the glory of the early church. You have all been witnesses, yes? And so, in these end times, we're so grateful that God has given us such great things. Amen? And yes, in this new season, uh, as the Bible has promised, uh, God's predestination for us is being bearing fruit. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, uh, I, I was thinking about what I was grateful for. And so what, uh, what should I be grateful for? And I was so grateful that God, this being God, loves me. That as Paul was confirmed in victory in Romans 8 because of this great love, that wow, 
The fact that God loves me is such an amazing fact, isn't it? And that this was what I was most grateful for this as I was meditating upon this. Now, of course, because of that love, God has poured out His dignity upon me. And so that's why I decided to preach out of Isaiah 62. And what Isaiah 62 is about is Jesus comes in chapter 59. This is all what you've heard when I preached out of Isaiah. I know that you have the spiritual gift of forgetfulness, and so that's why I'm going to remind you. And then in Isaiah 60 is the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And then from Isaiah 61 verse 4, it expresses the beauty of the millennial kingdom. And so chapter 62, we see see again the beauty of the millennial kingdom. But this image of the millennial kingdom is not about the place itself, but rather the people who dwell in that place. And so, more accurately speaking, it's the place of the New Jerusalem, the people who are gathered in the New Jerusalem. And so, in other words, they are Hepzibah and Beulah. And as you all know, this word, Hepshiba and Beulah. And so bless the person next to you. You are the Hepshiba and Beulah of the Lord. And so Isaiah 62, we see that God loves us even now. He loves us now. And in the present, we know and are aware of the great dignity He has poured out upon us. But in that day, in the Millennial Kingdom, because of our fleshly limitations, we cannot receive this love and dignity 100%. But now in this Millennial Kingdom, the time is will come where we can receive it 100%. And it's only then when we'll perfectly understand how great the love of God is and how great the dignity God has poured out upon us is. And so this amazing love and dignity that's being poured out in chapter 62 isn't just going to all of a sudden come to us on that day, but rather even now we are tasting it little by little. And as we grow spiritually, this love and dignity grows deeper and deeper. That is Christianity. But while we are on this earth, we always have this limitation. And so when this millennial kingdom comes, as we take off this limitation, we can 100% see that love. And so let us see what kind of feeling that would be. And so let the millennial kingdom anointing flow today. The anointing that can transcend our limitations so that we can receive that love and dignity. 
In other words, why do the children of God receive influence from the world? It's because they do not know who God is. They do not know who God is and that He loves me. And they do not know what dignity He has poured out upon me, He has granted to me. If you have received those things, then you would not be able to love the world. Because the world is worthless. Compared to the dignity that He gives, nothing in this world would have value. And so even now, the growth of your Christianity, the growth of your faith, is through that process, what is happening is that you are receiving more and more the perfection of that love. As your spirit becomes holier and holier, you know deeper and deeper the love and dignity He grants you. Uh, if you look at Romans 5 8, it says that it says that God gives us the love through the Holy Spirit. And that love that He gives is as if He's pouring out water through buckets into me. And so some of you are there's some of you who can feel those buckets being poured out upon you. But I'm sorry to say others don't know what that love means. Does that mean that God's not giving him love? No, the same love is being poured out upon him. The only difference is because of his bindings of his spirit, because of the limitations of his flesh, he's unable to feel that love. And so, when the measure of that love comes to me in perfection, then there will be no problems in my faith life. Honestly, love is the source of the power and authority over victory, right? The fact that the Creator God loves me, in that love, who dares stand against me? When He loves me, of course I am more than a conqueror. Victory, power, all of these things are confirmed in God's love. Amen. And so today, in this millennial kingdom, let us see how great this love that we're going to taste in that millennial kingdom will be. And, and in our hearts, we want to feel all oh, this love, this love, how great this love is. And so the more perfected your faith is, the common factor that will happen in all of you is that you will realize you don't need anything else. Right? To some, they need so many things. They need money. They need people. They need this and that. In their lives, they need so many things. And so they keep praying for these things to God. 
Now, of course, up to a point, because you are immature, it's okay to pray for these things. But let's say if you become 30 years old, you need to be able to support your parents, right? But now you're 31 and your parents still have to change your diapers. All you're doing is saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. This is the proof of immaturity. But the more mature you get, you realize that you do not need anything. That loving God is everything. That believing in the dignity He gives me is everything. That is the common factor of maturity. And so the more you perfect your relationship with God is, what do I mean when I say relationship? That He is Him and he, how He thinks of me. That I come to know this deeper and deeper. And so my relationship with God isn't a relationship of give and take. No, He loves me, and I receive that love, and receive that dignity, and with that, I return His love. This is our relationship with God. So the more mature you get, look, examine your the contents of your prayer. Are you praying for yourself or are you praying for others? Remember that faith is not self-centered. Christians do not become happy by making something for themselves. Christians find happiness when they serve others. This isn't given to just any Christian, but to Christians who know love. And so for the past 24 years while this church was established, we have instantaneously did not use money for ourselves or for our own building. But from the beginning, we started using for other people overseas. And that money was more than $6 billion. Is it because our church is special? No. It's because we understand the fundamental principle of what it means to be Christian. Not just Christians, but as children of God, if you know His love, you do not live for yourself, but for others. And so though we have not been able to build our own church, we've built many churches around the world. And we're going to help Costa Rica build a building. Don't think that it's because we are special. No, if you know the love of God, then you naturally give up and give to others. It's not that you are trying to empty yourself. It's not that you're trying to give things away. No, but when He enters into you, that's the life you will live. And why is this natural? 
It's because, because of His love for me, He gave up the glory of heaven. And so when that life enters into me, this becomes natural. And this is where actual happiness is found. Many people think that the more they possess, the happier they will be. But the more you have, the more unnatural it is. The more you possess, the more burdened you become. And so we need to lay it down. Lay it down. That when God gives me something, it's not so that I can hoard it, but rather so that I can uh, distribute it to others. And so, Yorban Church, you have seen this life through this church. And until the day you die, that's the life we need to live. And this all happens when God's love enters into me. And so even today, through today's worship, that, ah, God loves me, then this is something that is great, thankful beyond thanksgiving. And so this is the secret to giving thanks to God, is love. Why did America become the richest country in the world? Of course, it's by the grace of God. But remember, it's the nation that distributed resources to all the nations. Now, of course, I know that they lost their way and they got corrupted a lot. And yet, and yet, they expressed thanksgiving and expressed their thanks by helping others. And that's why God enriches that country. And so, uh, if there's um, a president out of our church, then make sure that you turn Thanksgiving into a national holiday. Okay, if you make a Thanksgiving as a national holiday, you might have to quit the job because no one will listen to you. But anyways, let us feel this love today. Amen. God is loving us right now, and we believe in that dignity. And so we go to the millennial kingdom. And so let's go there. Let's go there today. That when our spirit is perfect, how great that love will be. How amazing our dignity will be. And so let's look at this through Isaiah 62. And so what we need to understand is that Isaiah 62 is the circumstances in the millennial kingdom. Actually, up until 66 is Isaiah's prophecy of the Millennial Kingdom. And so because we saw Zechariah up to chapter 6, now we saw up to Jesus' return and his coronation. And the remainder of Zechariah, I, I, I plan to preach out of the rest of Zechariah, but we don't know exactly when. If he needs Coca-Cola, I need coffee. Okay, let's look at chapter 62. Verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. And so Jesus was returned, and so the millennial kingdom begun. 
And more specifically, the moment he returns, the Millennial Kingdom begins. But actually, it takes about 41 years for the uh, War of Armageddon to finish. Uh, not years, 40 days, sorry, 40 days. And so, during those 40 days, um, it, it gets organized and concluded. And then so when he returns, there's an earthquake. And Palestine becomes flat ground. And then for the next 30 days, there's a great earthquake that breaks down the world. It's described in Revelations 18. We see Babylon uh, being split into three parts. And so this Babylon that has been established for several thousands of years uh, gets destroyed in one night that everything made by the hands of man is destroyed. These buildings, everything made by the hands of man is destroyed. Then what's going to happen to all this ash? Because it needs to all be broken down in order for God's restoration to fully take place, right? And so maybe this is my own personal revelation, but what's going to happen is that the ozone layer in the heavens the, 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 is going to open up the atmosphere, not the ozone layer, the atmosphere. And it's going to be restored to the original image of how the earth was created when God first created the earth. And so it's going to be like uh, what's going to happen in the atmosphere at that time? That all the uh, rubbish of man-made things will fly up into the universe. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be an amazing sight to behold, right? This isn't in the Bible. This is just my own personal kind of like inspiration, I guess. Because after earthquake, um, there's going to be a huge, huge destruction, right? Then I wondered to myself, what is God going to do with all that trash and rubbish? And so I believe it's going to all go up into this space. Uh, as I live, I have much interest in the millennial kingdom. And so with the word, I'm always wondering what's going to happen. I'm always thinking about what's going to happen, what might happen. Honestly, because this world is going to burn one day, there's no need to be interested in this world. What's important is where we're going to reign in that millennial kingdom. Amen? Are you interested in the world? That you know you are you interested in your stocks going up and going down? Honestly, to my knowledge, no one is doing stocks in our church. But if you uh, get caught doing stocks, then you have to give that all up as an offering. <laughs> Anyways, let's continue. Uh, 
And so as this millennial kingdom begins, uh, so it's, it's not, it hasn't been that long since the millennial kingdom began in verse, or chapter 62. So it's not after several hundred years, no. <clears throat> It's around when Jesus is seated in Jerusalem, around the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That is the description of chapter 62. And so from Zion, this righteousness goes forth as a brightness. And even now, God is continually sending forth His righteousness to us. But this word expression, her righteousness goes forth as brightness. This needs explanation. Because righteousness is more like a flow, a current. And so when righteousness manifests, through that righteousness, holiness radiates. And so from Jesus, who is seated on his throne, this holiness radiates and lights up the world. That's what's being described here. And so the Lord is continually sending forth his righteousness. And that glory of that righteousness is radiating. And so like it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the light that emanates from the face of Jesus Christ is the light of the knowledge of God. And so, growth while we're on this earth isn't through our effort, but when we meet with Him, through the radiation of holiness that comes from His face as we meet with Him, creates us to grow. And so that's why, to you, listening to the Word of God is an important element to spiritual growth. And so that's why... And so earlier it wasn't 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it was 4, 10. Oh no, sorry, 4, 6. And so now in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, this gospel has the light of glory. And this light is the glory of holiness. And so when you listen to this word, and when you eat it in faith, that same light is shining through you. So because you're a new creation, the Holy Spirit, the Word, and the, and, and, and the blood is inside of you. And so you, as you become more and more reigned by these three things within your inner members, through those things, you are washed clean of the world and of the pollution inside of you. And so what you will realize then is that, ah, the Holy Spirit is leading me from glory to glory. That as darkness recedes within me, that the light grows stronger. So this isn't uh, some kind of supernatural thing, but rather as the glory grows inside of you, it becomes impossible for you to be in darkness. 
It becomes impossible to have fellowship with darkness. And so this is what I talked about when I talked about it in 1 Corinthians 4. But what does he say in chapter 6? What does Paul say? He doesn't just speak of it from, in an abstract sense. But how can darkness and light go together? How can darkness and light go hand in hand? And so he's not just saying this out of nowhere, but because the glory has grown inside of him. And so that's why you cannot have fellowship with unbelievers. It's not that I don't I don't purposely keep myself away from unbelievers, but rather I cannot have a relationship of life with them. So what have get married to an unbeliever? That's possible for someone who just attends church. But to someone who has faith in the Lord, that's impossible. Why? Because you cannot have a relationship of life with an unbeliever. You cannot have relationship with darkness. Why? Because everything he has put inside of you is glory. And so the greater this glory, the more impossible it becomes to get mixed with darkness. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. As you are filled with glory, you realize by yourselves that light is growing inside of you. And what is evidence of this? Is that let's say I have to make a decision. That I, this person will not choose darkness. For example, should I watch a movie? If I have darkness, I could go watch that movie easily. But if glory is moving inside of me, that's not going to happen easily. It's not easy. And so it's because glory is moving inside of you. And this circumstance that we see today is the millennial kingdom. That means that this is a state you're receiving perfect righteousness. And so this is the uh, goal that people on this earth are going to. And we need to be glorified on this earth. But this, what is this glorification? Though we cannot separate from the old self, it's turning this old self into a complete death like at my feet. And so this is the glorification that is set before you while you're on this earth. And now when we are clothed in the new body, the perfect body, you'll be separated from that old self. And from there, you enter into a new glory. And so, of course, there is spiritual growth when we have flesh. But the growth that's described in the millennial kingdom is people who are being clothed in the perfect body. And so we are priestly kings, right, uh, holy priests. 
they will also grow in the millennial kingdom. They are going closer and closer to God's perfection. And so just as Ezekiel 46 says, how are they going to grow? That as they see face to face, the light that emanates from his face will let them grow. Now, of course, it's the same principle here. But because you have so much evil stored within you, so much flesh stored inside of you, there's, t- there's effort needed to loosen yourself of these things. And so that's why sometimes we fast, other times we have to pray a lot. It's not because it's difficult to live with God, but rather we've stored up so much fleshliness that this is necessary to, to loosen ourselves of these things. Why? Because spiritual growth isn't from receiving from outside, as it says in Ephesians 1.3. But rather, when the Holy Spirit came into me, He gave me everything. And so all I have to do is let it be manifest. And yet it's my flesh that keeps it from being manifest. And so these fleshly bindings, I need time to bring it to submission. And yet, this is not actually the process of glorification. Rather, through this, it is now simply my glory that was inside of me being revealed. And as it's revealed, now that it's revealed, now that's when we can say that we're going into glorification. And so when this glory is revealed, it's not that we have to do something at that point. Rather, we just have to fix our eyes at that glory. And so these kinds of people, they need time to now face God face to face. And so it's not I'm praying, but rather I'm having fellowship with God. That I'm seeing Him face to face. And so they don't need the the outer structure of prayer. They're just having fellowship with God. And so this is simply an element of spiritual growth. And so how well do they see the light of His glory? That when you look at your brother next to you, even from his face, you see the face of God. It's because God's image is perfected inside of you. And so whenever I say something to Teo, he thinks that I don't like him. Why? Because he still has that binding inside of him. And so that's what it means when uh, her righteousness goes forth as brightness. That we are no longer receiving the righteousness of limitation, a limited righteousness, but rather we have become this state where we can receive the full value of God's righteousness. And so if you desire to enter into glory as in this earth, then fundamentally you will continually yearn for His glory in that kingdom. 
Why? Because no matter how much grace you receive on this earth, no matter how much glory you see on this earth, you know that there's the limitation of your flesh. And so that's why in all that state, Paul says that I mourn, I groan. And that's why even at the height of his spirituality, Paul can say that I am the worst of all sinners. And that's why he makes the confession that he longs to rid himself of this flesh. Because ultimately, we cannot deal with this limitation while we are in the flesh. And so he wants to leave the tent of this body and meet with God and, and without limitations. Because no matter how free I may be on this earth, that freedom is limited. And because of that limitation, I want to take off this tent of the body and be free with God. And so it's not that we want to die, but rather we want to go beyond this limited state. And, exp and, and we can't help but yearn for that perfected freedom. The best we can do on this earth is to taste every now and then what and receive hints of what it's going to be like. And so some of you may not be able to understand a word I'm saying right now. Maybe we should preach somewhere else. Maybe today's sermon is too difficult. Let's do something more easy. Okay, well, something like in all situations, give thanks. Actually, that's difficult too if you think about it. Okay, even it's difficult, follow along, amen? Okay, today is the day that you need to listen uh, in spirit. We need to continually yearn for the anointing of the of, of the of, of, of heaven. And at the very least, I hope, I pray that you would taste the freedom of that glory. I say this all the time to you. That you need to experience freedom. To someone who tastes it once will never be able to let it go. Thanks be to God that the moment I was saved, I tasted that freedom. And so for the past 32 years, I've been striving to not lose sight of that freedom. And so no matter the situation, if it goes against that freedom, I have a hard time. I try to deal with it no matter what. And so that's why my fundamental evils can't help but be manifest. And I cannot live without first dealing with them. But during the Millennial Kingdom, this true freedom, can you imagine how free that freedom would be? And so your growth in the Millennial Kingdom is going to happen in a different level, dimension. And this is actually God's purpose for creating you. So that we can continually meet with Him, continue to become more and more and more like Him. Now, no matter how much eternity goes by, He is always going to be self-determined, whereas you are reliant. 
But he is pleased when we desire to be close to him. He is, his will is for us to be more and more like him. And so her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. And so this salvation is talking about the perfection of salvation. And so through this perfection of salvation, how radiant is that glory that it's like a burning torch? And so the more that glory grows inside of you, even you will not tolerate even the smallest darkness inside of you. You will not compromise and tolerate uh, darkness to to intercede or to interpose with glory inside of you. Many people they just tolerate and compromise it. But we cannot, as men of faith, we cannot live with this worldly standard. We cannot live with the hate and rage. And so to who? To those who are filled with glory. But because you do not have that light of glory, you just live adequately. You just become adequately good. You don't know holy, true holiness. In other words, God alone is holy, and He gives His holiness to us. And when we receive that holiness, like Daniel, we need to be able to give everything up to maintain that holiness. And actually, in other words, the moment you were saved, that holiness was inside of you. And it grows, not because you did something, but rather because... As you are diligent, that darkness that is inside of you can't help but flee because the light grows inside of you. And so in Jerusalem, on Mount Sinai, this glory is growing and growing. And he says, for this sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. And so even now, Jesus is not resting in order so that those he has called will, will come to him. And so if you do not know what it means to live in grace, you do not know what it means to live by what God gives, then you have this pressure to try to do something. And fundamentally, you always try to do something. But remember, we are not built to be workers. We are not made as workers. We are not made as beings who are, who are to uh, work out as laborers. And so what does it say in Ezekiel 31? Or Jeremiah 31? God who fulfills our word. Uh, let us call out to him. God is the one who works. And that's why I call the triune God as the dynamic God. A dynamic God. Because he dynamically works in the Trinity, in me. And so while you're on this earth, if you think that you just need to live a decent life, then you have to work very hard. But if your purpose is the kingdom of heaven, your purpose isn't in living the best and having the best things. But rather, God's goal is to make you like him. 
and I cannot make myself to be like him. Remember, I am a pastor who leads you. And no matter how good my pastor ministry is, I cannot turn you to be like God. That honestly, it's impossible for me to turn you into a good person. The most I can do is maybe if you mess around, I could take you to my room and beat you up. Like say, oh, you're not praying? Then I got to beat you up. That's probably the best thing I can do. That's probably the only thing I can do. Everything else is impossible from my perspective. It's supposed to be funny, but none of you laughing. Do you really think that I'm going to beat you? Okay, if you don't receive grace today, I'm going to throw one of these watermelons at you. Listen carefully. And so he needs to work. But when we go to Malina Kingdom, you'll realize how hard he has worked for you. That you'll realize that he was restless. Right? In Psalms, we see how hard he works. That he doesn't sleep, he doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't grow weary. That's how hard he works, to the point that he doesn't sleep. It's because we do not recognize this. That's why you get, um, what's it called, uh, insomnia. Okay, all you have to realize is that he works, then you can sleep comfortably. But because you work so hard, that's why you get insomnia. Because your mind is constantly moving, that's why you cannot sleep. You need to be like me. The moment you put your head on the, on the pillow, in three seconds you're already snoring. Really, my son, Yongguan, he believes that God does all the work. So Yongguan went to RT and he wrote a letter to me while he was in Europe and I looked at his letter and he finally realizes what I have done for him. And so he realized how much he needed me. And that's the same thing. Our Heavenly Father does all the work. And so when you do fail to recognize this, you will work hard. Work hard. Even your prayer, look. If you're legalistic, it becomes your work. But if you're in grace, that prayer becomes rest. That the prayer should be the place of comfort. But if you're legalistic, oh, I got to go pray again. Oh, how am I supposed to pray again? It's not that I try to pray a lot, but rather because I enter into God's presence, I just spend hours there. This morning, I woke up and I closed my eyes and opened my eyes and already four hours passed by. Because God did not create us to work. He is the one who works for us. He works very hard for us. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't grow weary. And so this is how hard he works for us. That he doesn't rest. And so it's so obvious that we should grow into the perfection of righteousness and salvation. Allow him to work in you. 
But it's because He doesn't work, but you work. That's why God is unable to do anything in you. You need to keep allowing the angels to work for you. If you work out yourself, as you become someone who takes the work of other people right you know those tryhards right right angels angels need to work but I work it out and so I become a tryhard right it needs to be the trinity God working inside of me but I do the work and so that's why I become a tryhard we are not created to be workers this is about faith if you do not believe this, you will work hard. And you cannot believe that God works for you. Moving on to verse 2. And the nations shall see your righteousness. And so in the millennial kingdom, during that thousand years, there will be nations. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the nations that exist right now are going to all be there at the same way. I think it's probably going to be by nations rather than by country. And so in the Millennial Kingdom, there will be Korea. Because Korea is a country and a nation. You know, you know what I mean, right? So, for example, the nations in the Millennial Kingdom will be based on the nations, not country. For example, there will be like uh, the nations of the Jews or, or the Siswatis and the Sizulus, right? Like, and so, Millennial Kingdom, there will be nations. And the nations will finally acknowledge and see righteousness. And so the nations will see the righteousness cover over them like the waters over the sea. And so all the kings, your glory. And so all these kings are talking about the leaders of these nations in the millennial kingdom. Like it says in Ezekiel 4, Ezekiel 47, that it is these kings, these priestly kings, who will make their pilgrimages to see the face of the king. And as I said earlier, the growth of, of faith in the millennial kingdoms is what? Is seeing him face to face. Even now, when we see him face to face, we are growing and being made more in his image. But this change cannot help but be slow. Why? Because there's so many elements that limit that light in me. But now in the Millennial Kingdom, as we see his face, the rate of change will be rapid. To the point that when that Millennial Kingdom is over, right, the devil is going to be once again loosened from the gates of hell. And there will be people who will be apostates even at that time. But this warfare will not even take an hour. There are many aspects to this. Why do you think that this warfare will be so quick? Because these priestly kings who have seen the glory of God for a thousand years, their power and authority will be very strong. So right now in this day, when we fight against demons, 
we have to work hard and pray hard and fight for a long time, but that's not what it's going to be like in the Malay Kingdom. That the kings of the Malay Kingdom will have great power and authority. Why? Because for a thousand years they've been seeing his face being transformed into his image. And so this spiritual warfare that's going to happen at the end of the Middle Kingdom will be instantaneous. How amazing is that? Amen. And so are you not interested in this millennial kingdom? So let's continue. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And so this you is speaking directly to the new Jerusalem, to Zion. In other words, as Revelation 7 says, talking about the 14, uh, the 14, uh, 144,000 sealed of Israel. And spiritual speaking, to the Gentiles is speaking to the holy brides. And so they will receive a name from the mouth of God directly. And so these priestly kings, these pure brides, will now be uh, uh, one with God, Christ at this time. Like it says in Zephaniah, where they will be filled with praise and honor. Now, even now, he is calling you by name. He does not call me servant. For the past 32 years, he's called me by name, Mino. When I say servant, I call myself servant because of my relationship of, of, of commitment to him. But when he asks something of me, he doesn't say, hey, servant. He calls me by name. And so in the millennial kingdom, those who receive that name, that name will be revealed in the millennial kingdom. How amazing is that? Amen. Right. For example, when a king uh, gives a award to to the to the citizen, he doesn't call it directly, right? He doesn't say it directly, right? Right, there's a herald, a herald that speaks for the king. But in the millennial kingdom, the privilege we have is that he will speak to us directly. How amazing is that? And so he's going to give us a new name. And so on this earth, as we are victorious, then God is creating in us a new name. And so this new name we'll see in verse 3. Right? Well, the new name we see in verse 4, but so we now to continue. Verse 3, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. And so God is going to crown us. And it's not someone crowns me, but, but his hands will directly crown me. How amazing is this? Does this not come to you? That he himself will crown you. 
that his hand will become a crown. Right? This is same, same words as in Zechariah 3, talking about the coronation of the king, that we are priestly kings here, and we're receiving that crown with praise and honor that his name will directly call you by name and he will, his hands will directly crown you. And so, because this is so amazing, bless the person next to you and say, hey, hey, uh, you be the person who calls me, or you crown me, right? Crown me. And so, and then call them by name. And so do it to the person next to you. Crown them and then call them by name. And so today let's receive the feel of the millennial kingdom. Why, if we're ultimately destined for the millennial kingdom, then why does God give us these prophecies beforehand? There are many reasons for this. But it's so that we can taste and, and, and think and meditate upon that amazement wonder beforehand. And so when the early church says hope, they're not talking about just abstract hope, but rather hope in the kingdom of heaven. And so our only hope is in His kingdom. And so while we're on this earth, we should not be so concerned about, about what about, about what's are going to happen to us in this life. As spiritually our faith grows, what you will see happening inside of you is that you will no longer be so concerned and anxious because of problems on this earth. Okay, when I first established this church, Right after three years, I chased everyone out, and then we or we were uh, we took a loan out to build that to have that building. But I had no church members, just seven young adults who ate too much, and I had no money. And so every day the the uh, banks would call. When are you going to pay back your loan? When are you going to pay interest? And so I didn't want to receive my phone. I didn't want to answer the phone. Because all they do is talk about debt. And, but then God said, he said to me, Liz, hey, uh, your debtors aren't going to follow you to heaven. And the moment I heard that, I said, oh, I'm worried for nothing. I'm afraid for nothing. And so the next day when they called, I, I shouted at them, I'm not going to run away. Don't worry, my building is going to stay here. I'll pay it off, don't worry. And so listen carefully. And so if you are anxious about the things of the world, this is the devil's strategy against you. And so you need to be more concerned and, and concern yourselves with the things of heaven, with the things of God, with the things of heaven. Amen? 
And so examine yourselves for 24 hours a day. What am I thinking about most of the time? Oh, Sydney, what am I going to do about his asthma? Oh, what am I going to do about Yobel's asthma? Oh, oh, I have four children and they all are afflicted with asthma. Should I take them to the hospital or not? What am I to do? 24 hours just thinking about asthma, asthma, asthma. That's why those devils are always surrounding you. And so really, depending on what thoughts you have will determine what spirits you call to yourself. Because you keep thinking about the world, the worldliness enters into you. Because you're always complaining, complaining, that's why that, that division is entering into you. Really, this is an important spiritual principle. Because I think of God, because I think of the kingdom of heaven, I'm, the Holy Spirit comes every day. The Holy Spirit comes every day. Amen? Oppositely, because you're always thinking of women, that's why that's uh, immorality is coming to you. Because all I think about is women. Oh, no one like that here? Right? Oh, you guys are all very, um, you guys are liars. <laughs> no, but anyways. And so let's look at this. Let's look at this name, verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken. So now, he's directly speaking to the Jews. Right? Jerusalem. That I will no longer cast you out like orphans. That this is talking about the eternity of God's fatherhood. And so we should not doubt his fatherhood. Even now we call him Abba Father. And so... What you pray, whatever you pray, what will determine answers? It's not about how well you pray, but rather is, do you truly believe he is your Abba Father or not? If you believe that he is your Abba Father, then 100% he will answer your prayers. And so this is the confirmation that's going to happen in the Millet Kingdom. This 100% assurance that he is my Father. That uh, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. And so remember that the only land that bare fruit in the parable was the good soil. But what this means is that in that kingdom, whatever word God gives, you'll be the good soil that could receive it. Like it says in Ezekiel 47. Or, or Psalms 1. You are no longer a farm that bears fruit in season. But like in Ezekiel 47, every month bearing fruit, every month. Really, when you go to the Millennial Kingdom, because, because all of creation is restored to the wisdom of God, they will bear fruit based on our needs. It's not through the right climate and the just the right amount of moisture and the soil that bears this fruit. This isn't grapes, right? 
It's Shine Musket. Oh, this is made by man. I don't like these kinds of things. But anyways, how is it going to bear fruit in the Millennial Kingdom? These trees, because they are restored to God's wisdom. For example, I approach an apple tree and I stretch out my hand. Then right there, the tree bears its fruit and drops it in my hand. Do you believe? It bears fruit instantaneously. 100% all natural organic. Why, why do you not have interest in the millennial kingdom? Because God's wisdom is restored to all creation. And so they know that God wants to give the best to his creation. It's the same thing on this earth. Though it's limited, but for the past 30 years, God has given me the best. Really, the best at all times, always the best. Always the best word, the best saints. Right? That's who God, our God is. It's not because of me, but because He doesn't give second best. He doesn't give third best. He always gives best. But this is something that I really can confess in all honesty. That God doesn't give me second best. He always gives me the best. The best wife. Hallelujah. Thank you. And so we need to be the good soil that can bear fruit every month. And then remember, earlier in verse 2, it said a new name. But finally, he says what? He says, and you shall be called Hepshiba, which means my delight is in you. Right? My delight is in her or is in you. Why are we unable to rejoice? Because we do not realize how much he delights in me. Because joy is God's joy. It's because you keep trying to find reasons to rejoice that you're unable to rejoice. But no matter your circumstances, when you receive that God delights in you, you will rejoice. And so finally, in the Millennial Kingdom, wow, God truly does delight in me. And so that's why you realize that I am Hepshiba. Do you believe? Do you believe how much God delights in you? That how much He delights that in your darkness, in your evil, He will not leave you be. That if you are sad, He is not going to stay still. If the devil is beating you, he is not going to stay still. Why? Because God is delighted in you. Because you are his Hepshiba. And so bless the person next to you. You are Hepshiba. Amen. 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 And then next he says, You are Beulah. 
And this, which means, um, and your land married, that your land is married. Because we go to that land as the bride. Is marriage that delightful? And so, sisters, think about this. Okay, imagine the best husband ever. Imagine the best man in the world. Right, he's the best looking man, chiseled. He's got the best personality. He's wise, very smart, and he also loves the best. And so let's say you married with this man. This man loves you so much. And he's not riding a bicycle to you, but he's riding a white horse. Imagine that. Imagine that. Wouldn't you be happy? Wouldn't you be delighted? But this is the groom that cannot be described in the words of man. And so how much more happy would this woman be? That's what Pula means. The woman who can marry this kind of man. And so honestly, the failure to have be prepared as this kind of pure bride is such danger. Amen. And so this is your new name. These are names you will receive when you go to Millennial Kingdom. But even now, he gives you these names. And so bless the person next to you. Hepshiba Pula. Hepshiba Pula. Okay, Pastor Francisco must be lonely without his wife. Verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And so not just young man, but a virgin marrying a virgin. So it's talking about purity. And like this purity, the sons of God will marry you. And who is this you? It is Jerusalem. And so that means that Jerusalem meeting with Lord will be this kind of pure meeting, this meeting of purity. And so love isn't just simply like this kind of physical thing, but rather in the spiritual thing, love is equals purity. Why do you think so many families are broken these days? There are many reasons, but amongst that is because there's no purity between the, the spouses, whether it's money or whether it's about about um, sexual relationships, right? It's all, it's all impure these days. Love in purity becomes more whole. The more pure, the more you love. 
And so these priestly kings who have reached the pinnacle of that purity, when they meet the pure Jesus Christ, how beautiful would that meeting be? If you look at Psalms 110, it says that the word of God is pure. What this means is that the God's word is God's perfect love expressed. That His word is perfectly for us, for our benefit. For example, I use this parable. When a farmer goes out to his farm, let's say that these these um, birds come and they fly and they they rest on him and his and his hat. And so he's really happy, he's really friendly with these birds. But one person says to the farmer like this that these far, these birds are good for your uh, back pain. And so just catch one and slaughter one. This farmer never imagined to eat one of these birds and never wanted to harm it. And yet he heard these words. And so when he went to the farm, none of the birds would come close to him anymore. Why? Because the moment he heard those words, he lost that purity, that innocence. And how pure is the word of God? That is 100% for you. That is the, God's purity. How pure? To the point that clean, clean and pure is not good enough of a word. It, it is inexpressible in words. And so that's what's being spoken here that this meeting of purity this union of purity and innocence and so the church being glory is being glory is not power it's not technique it's when these when the community becomes pure like it says in Colossians 1 3 that we have been moved into the kingdom of love of the son of God when that reign is perfect over that church, that church has best spirituality. That's why they're able to die for one another. That is true love. Being able to die for the brother next to you. And so the most powerful uh, greeting amongst church members in the early church is what? Is I want to be your church. Which means I want to die for you. I'm willing to die for you. Understand the purity of the early church. And so there was no one in the early church who would sue one another. Why? Because they were willing to die for one another. That's how pure they were. And so remember, purity and love is interchangeable. And so bless the brother next to you that I want to be your church. What else does he say? It says, and as a, the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is similar to what we saw earlier, right? And so he, he goes to meet his bride. And because he receives such a great bride, he is rejoices, right? And so he's getting the best bride. And so it's great when you send your son to get married. But 
But how good is it when you receive a great daughter-in-law? That's what's being described here. And so how pure are we that God as our father-in-law is rejoices over us as his as the bride for his for his son. So verse 6. Okay, finishing the sermon quickly would be gracious today, yes? And so let's try to hurry up. Verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. A watchman is describing angels. Right, we'll also see this Isaiah 20 or 61. And so you can see this as kind of like an extension of, of, of this world. Millennial Kingdom is like the extension of this world. For example, right now we live in the city of Xi'an. How do you think this Xi'an will change in the Millennial Kingdom? Imagine that. Do you think that it'll disappear? It might. It might disappear. Why? Because this was originally the sea, right? They they uh, reclaim this land, and so when the Millennial Kingdom comes, th this probably will no longer be here. It'll probably be the sea again. So we all got to move somewhere else. Really, it's it's high probability that this land will be gone because this was originally the sea. When I first came to this place, I said, I'm going to Uido. And someone held my hand. And so, do you have nowhere to go that you go to an island? Because Oido, Do means island in Korean. Because this place is called Oido, which means island Oi, right? But it's not an island because they reclaim the land. But anyways... And so even in the millennial kingdom, we, we, we got to think of this as an extension of the world today. It's not a different world. The, our, the only difference is that who is the spiritual being and who is not the spiritual being. And, and at that time, we'll be able to see angels directly. And so there's no evidence of this in the Bible. But it might could be it, there might be a connection between the millennial kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. Now I, there's reason why I say this, but but anyways, it's not in the Bible. But but that there will be a connection between the millennial kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. Because the righteous forefathers they will not be in the millennial kingdom, but they'll be able to go back and forth, move back and forth. Because I think about the millennial kingdom very deeply. I believe that God has granted me this grace to see these things. But don't take it to heart. Okay, okay, but anyways, it's fun when we when we when we take these kinds of escapades, right? But anyways, what we'll see is that, that the kingdom of heaven is preparing to enter into the universe. And so uh, the millennial kingdom is that first step we'll see in Second Peter. And how great is that kingdom of heaven? That the universe cannot bear its weight and so it tears apart. Right? Because it's so much greater than this universe. That's how big the kingdom of heaven is. Amen? And that's why we call it a nation that will never be shaken. That's the nation that we want to hold on to. We want to put our hopes into. Not into the speck that is this earth. Amen? And so let's continue. And so he says this watchman, and what does he do? All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. 
And so, remember, what is this not being silent? It means that they are worshiping Jesus, praising Jesus all night long, or proclaiming holiness all night long. And so this isn't a watchman that's waiting for the signs of an enemy, but rather a watchman that's continually proclaiming holiness, continually proclaiming the glory of God. That's what these watchmen are doing. What else does he say? You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And so you who put the Lord in remembrance, Isaiah 30 something is talking about the scribes the scribes who would record the records the chronicles of the kings so what do the angels do there's a scribe that remembers everything that the king does in the same way there are angels who are recording what Jesus do, does and so just as when I preach, people um, um, write it down. In the same way, there's constantly being scribed. And then where do they, what do they do? They send it to the nations. Why? Because only those who are in Jerusalem would be able to hear those words. And so those words are being sent all over to, uh, to all nations. Right, like it says in Micah 4 4, that Jesus teaches his ways directly. And so, as he hears those ways, the scribe is recording it down and sending it out to the nations. Sending it out to the nations. And so, are you feeling this millennial kingdom? And so, verse 7. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and make it a praise in the earth. And so, the moment that the millennial kingdom comes, that doesn't mean Jerusalem is going to be all, all of a sudden established. Even you'll see this in Isaiah 7, that they'll build the temple. And as they spend that glory in the millennial kingdom, uh, it comes to fruition. And so do not rest until it's perfect. That's what it's saying in verse 7. I don't know how long it's going to take, but probably not too long. Maybe a few years? I don't know, but I don't know exactly. But this, there will be time needed for this new Jerusalem to be rebuilt in glory or to be built up in glory. And then so in verse 6, that means that there's also time for these um, priestly kings to be perfected as they see the glory of the of Jesus face they're being transformed and so even still they are growing in faith and so those who do not fail on this earth they've grown so much they'll still grow even in the millennial kingdom but also those who are unable to receive uh, grow on this earth there's still another opportunity for them right as it says in Matthew 25 that where they will be outside of the city where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so it's not because they have physical suffering but rather because they are not participating in the glory of the king 
in, in this millennial kingdom. That's why there is this hardship. So that's why we want to finish in glory on this earth. Amen. To stand as these priestly kings so that we can get to the next level of perfection that God has prepared for us in the millennial kingdom. So do not be lazy on this earth. Amen. And so the 66 books of the Bibles is always talking about these priestly kings. There's no hint of anyone else. So from this perspective, the Bible can be very scary. The Bible has no hint about what's going to happen to people who just live as Sunday Christians. Only this word is a word of promise to those who have fulfilled the promise of his predestination. And so this Bible is dealing with glory. It's not dealing with whether you're going to heaven or going to hell. That's all because of the deception of the great prostitute over the church. Even to the point where the Bible doesn't make differentiate between humanity and divinity. Because God was uh, God originally created man in the image of God. They've been created as a piece of divinity. But though there was a little bit of time needed for that human to be made lower, and yet he was still made in God's image. And so Jesus, through Jesus, that has been restored. Amen. And so through seminaries and through various schools and the great prostitute, all of these things have been closed. And so uh, through their sin, we have come to uh, live as slaves. But then, but then Jesus came and restored that divinity to us. We were not beggars in the beginning. We were not big beggars in the beginning. From the beginning, we were created in divinity. And, but because of sin, we became beggars. And through Jesus, we were restored to our original image. So do not lose your dignity to the devil. And so look, there's no evidence that God is going to say that you are my heir after uh, giving you everything even though you don't do anything. Then I'd rather give to an angel, right? And also angels have spent more time with God. And so God should give to angels. Why does he give to man if man was created apart from God? Why is man as heirs of the kingdom of heaven? Because he has begotten us. And so here, these there are four people here that I know. And three of them are geniuses. Then who do you think I'm going to leave my inheritance to? To the one who is a little bit dumb. Why? Because he's my son. These three geniuses are simply acquaintances. But because he is my son, I give him my inheritance. And so why does God give to his inheritance to man? Because we have been created in his spirit. Amen? Obvious, right? 
So if you lose this dignity, then what you're going to live, how you're going to live is this. This is how you're going to pray. Oh Lord, thank you for saving me, nothing, who is nothing but an ant on the earth. Thank you for taking me up to your heaven even though I am nothing. This is the best kind of prayer that you can have if you've lost sight of your dignity. When did God treat you as an ant? And their best glory is going to heaven? And people think that this is humility. This isn't humility, this is poverty. Right? God doesn't like these kinds of prayer. Prayer is not begging. Prayer is not squeezing out of God. Prayer is boldly coming before God with the bold dignity that He has given you, speaking to Him in all boldness. Why are we bold? Because God has paid all the price for us. There is no debt any longer between me and Him. That's why we are bold and have confidence. Amen? But those who have received this dignity, when they are bold before God, at the same time, they will be truly hum humble, always having reverence towards God. This is uh, the image of those who have met with God perfectly. And so, a beggar like me, thank you for letting me go to heaven. That if I just have an, um, that whenever I have a, oh, uh, sorry, opportunity that I steal from God. Because who knows, who knows when I'm going to be a beggar again. So see, but those who truly believe, okay, and so, so look, it looks like humility, but it's actually very arrogant, right? That you're always using God because you never know when, you never know when you're going to be a beggar again. God says that we are of the same source, as it says in Hebrews 2, 11. Many people think that this is blasphemy. No, it's because we are the same source that God gives me his inheritance. Okay, if, is there anyone who's going to steal from the house of God? If it's mine, right? If the things of God is mine, then, then I'm not a thief, right? Why does it belong to me? Because I am God's, because I am God's heir. But if we lose sight of this dignity, we always think we have to take something. We have to steal something. But because we are the same spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to me. I don't need to steal because God has given it to me, right? Is there anyone who steals from himself? And so this is the clear difference between those who know their dignity and who don't know their dignity. And so even in this new Jerusalem, we continually grow. So verse 8, this right hand, by his mighty arm, the Lord has sworn. He's talking about his mighty nature, his almighty nature. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. For thousands of years, Israel has been pillaged by their enemies. And so they have this wound regarding being pillaged. But now they will no longer be pillaged. What does this mean? 
that they can now enjoy everything that they make. For many reasons, we cannot enjoy everything that we have, right? Right, limitations of nature, limitations of my faith. And so enjoying everything, availing everything, means that all these limitations have been removed. There's no limitation of scarcity. There's no limitation of my faith. And so I become able to enjoy or avail everything. And this is not only applies to the millennial kingdom, but even on this earth. Why can God not give you everything even though He pours it out like water? Because if He gives to you, you will be corrupted. You need to be able to avail it, but you don't know how to avail it. Because when God gives to you, you need to be able to send it out to others, but you're unable to do so. And so He cannot give you limitlessly. And so even on this earth, if you have the faith to be able to avail this, then God will give you limitlessly. That no matter what He gives, if you do not suffer loss, then God will give you more than you want. Truly, that is the heart of God. God wants to give you more. God wants to give you limitlessly. If necessary, He'll give you the universe. And so we need to have faith regarding this. Even now, if I say, son, stop in the stop, it stops. It's because I don't need to pray this way that I don't pray this way. But no matter what I pray, if I pray, God will give. As it says in Romans 8, 28, that he gave even to the point that he gave his only son, would he not give anything, you ask, as a gift? Right? If he gave his son, what would he hold back from you? Okay, ask me for this watermelon. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He'll give you everything. Everything, really. So let's continue. What else does he say? And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. And this is similar words, that you will no longer be pillaged. And what does it mean that you will no longer be pillaged? It means that, as I said earlier, you can avail it, you can enjoy it. There's the same prophecy in Micah 4. But it's not just simply not being pillaged. But it also means that you no longer live by your possessions. The, the fact that you're able to avail it means that you're also willing to give. I gave this example before. How can you share three apples amongst two people equally? Okay, let's say I gave you three apples. How are you going to share those three apples between two people fairly? Okay, calculate. Hurry up and calculate. Okay, it's one and a half, right? No. No, the person who's strong gets all of it. Right? That's this world, right? That's this world. Everyone who's strong gets all three. That's that's the fairness of the world. That's the justice of the world. How about kingdom of heaven? You split it in half and gave one and a half. Then this person will say, oh, I don't need it. I don't need this. So give it to him. They're going to give to each other. You have, you have, you have. 
That is the kingdom of heaven. That because you can avail all things, you can give all things. And that's what we are training ourselves to do in this earth. It's not us availing it, but we give. For 24 years, we've been giving. We're going to continue to give. Why? Because the more we give, God is going to continually fill. That is how you live by the riches of the kingdom of heaven. And this law is applied even now. Amen? And that's what you've seen here in Yabang Church. That we give, un- we continually give, and God continually gives. Why? Because we do not live by the laws of the world, but we live by the laws of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Verse 9. But those who garner it shall eat it. And so similar words here. That is a kingdom that can enjoy its fruit. But earlier in this earth, it's hard to even receive fruit. Right? For example, it's like this. You farmed really hard, and then the typhoon came and t- tore away at your entire crops. You worked really hard, and you earned a lot of money, but the next day, all that money became nothing. It became worth nothing. And so on this earth, you cannot enjoy what you make. Even if you plant one, it's hard to gain one. But those who live in this kingdom, they plant one and they get 30, 60, 100 back. Or 10,000 back. That becomes obvious in this kingdom. And so, when it, what does it mean that you can uh, enjoy what you have? It means you're living by the kingdom of heaven. Right? Think about it. How many people who really enjoy their harvest? Even now, there's people who farm. And when typhoons come, they're always worried about, about, about what's going to happen when that typhoon comes. And then also when they harvest, they're worried about, oh, the prices of, of, their, of, their, of their harvest. And so the kingdom of man, no one can enjoy what they make. But if you live by the kingdom of heaven even now, you enjoy everything even now. Amen? Amen? This is clear. And so are you going to live by the methods of the world or by the methods of God? By the law of this world or by the law of, the, of, of, of God? And so if you live by the laws of this world, the laws of man now, you are being pillaged every day. That is the principle of spiritual warfare. Your children are being taken from you. You are being pillaged unless you live by the kingdom of heaven. Your church members are taken from you. The people around you are being taken from you. Your health is being taken from you. Your money is being taken from you. It's because you lose sight of the glory of the kingdom of heaven that takes responsibility for you. And so that means that these churches no longer belong to the kingdom of heaven. Right? The church of God moves according to the heaven, kingdom of heaven. And so from, so, from this perspective, we cannot lose spiritual warfare. Why? Because we do not live by our strength, but by the strength of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. And so if you live by humanism or the methods of the world, you are, cannot win. You're always being pillaged. 
this kind of person will be pillaged one day. Their glory, their, fa their faith, their money, their children, everything will be taken from them. Why? Because they do not live by the kingdom of heaven. So they cannot enjoy what is theirs. They cannot receive the blessings that God has prepared for them. Let us live by the kingdom of heaven. Amen. The church should not live according to what the world wants, according to the methods of the world. And so our church members have seen this clearly. That when the world is poor, does that mean that the church becomes poor? No. If the world is receiving tribulation, does that mean that the church also receives tribulation? No. The church and the world moves in completely different ways. This must be clear to us. And so when the glorious kingdom of heaven comes down, we'll see this in reality. And I will praise the Lord. And so the praise on this earth and the praise in that kingdom will be on a different level, right? And so everything that we yearn for, as we see it being embodied, we are in that glory, we praise God. And then it says that, um, and those who gather it shall drink it in the course of my sanctuary. If you look at Exodus 29, uh, God comes in the wilderness, and, and how beautiful is it that they spread out a tent, a sanctuary, and for 70 days Israel eats and drinks. And so in Genesis 24, this is what this talks about this expression, this perfect communion between God and his people. And this is the goal of those who live for God on this earth, that they could come to this point where, where they can be in God's presence, where God does not hide his secrets from them. Amen. So verse 10. We're almost finished, okay? What time is it? Oh, wow, already this time. But verse 10. Go through the, go through the gates. Why? Because now the scene has changed. And then so, from because the people have entered into Sion, into Jerusalem. And how many people come through that, that they build up the highway. Clear it of stones. And so, even now, this way to the um, heavenly kingdom is open to us. You need to be able to see that way road, and it will and that will remove all the stones that obstruct your way. As Isaiah 40 also describes, that the path, the highway to, from the return of exile, is there. And so now, as we as we leave the world, God will establish this road for us to go down. And you'll see the mountains turn into flat ground. And all the stones will be removed from your path. And so in faith, uh, those who go down in faith, this is what will happen to them. That there will be no obstruction. Uh, lift up a signal over the peoples. And so whether it's Jews or Gentiles, when these priestly kings come, they must enter bearing the flag of victory. That everyone who enters into this new Jerusalem are vic victors. They are not con artists. 
Oh, sorry, not con artists, but um, auxiliaries, right? Like, like, like um, allied. No, it's not the allies, but but the victors, those who receive the crown, those who receive the glory of God, and that the angels will blow the trumpets and they will express and call out your dignity. Why? Because you are victors. Because you have overcome the world. The you who have overcome the world, you enter into that gates. And so verse 11. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. And so this is talking about the perfection of salvation. Behold, his reward is with him. And so as Zechariah 1, we talked about this coronation where we will receive our reward. And what is this reward? It is the spoils of war from the victors you have on this earth, victories you have on this earth. And those reward is stored up and given to you. And uh, his recompense before him. Okay, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joseph in Genesis 50, 25. What does he say in 50.25? He says to the Israelites that God will visit you. And so this word recompense in Hebrew is the word God's visitation. And so God visits them to reward them. And oppositely, he revisits them to judge them. But now, to these noble ones who have entered into this new Jerusalem, God is coming. And why does he come? To reward. To give them glory. And that's the visitation we will see. He is coming, amen? Verse 12, And they shall be called the holy people. Even now, uh, people do not call us holy, right? But in the millennial kingdom, those who are wearing flesh, there are people with the flesh who have survived the Armageddon war. And, and they will see us who wear this resurrection body and they will call us holy. Right now, you cannot tell the difference between who is holy and who is not. But in the millennial kingdom, it will be it will be clearly distinguishable. And they will um, ascribe honor to these holy people. Amen. And so, shall we greet each other this way from now on? Because we're all going to be priestly kings, right? And so, let us exp- uh, ascribe dignity and honor when we greet one another. Maybe we should do that next time, right? Okay, right? Describe honor by, by, you know, curtsy and bowing to one another. Right? Because well, we need to practice for the Millennial Kingdom, right? Practice for the Millennial Kingdom. So try, okay? So women, you know, you curtsy with your skirt, okay? Curtsy with your skirt. Okay, let us finish. Verse 12. This should be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And this word redeemed is the Hebrew word gar, which means inheritance. That you are the inheritance of God. That's receiving praise and honor. And you shall be called sought out. 
What does it mean that you are sought out? That is talking about lost and found. That, that Israel, right, as the people of God, they have spread out into the diaspora. But now that they are sought out means that they have no longer be separated from God. A city not forsaken. And this is talking about Jerusalem. Throughout history, Jerusalem has been conquered multiple times. And many other empires have gained control of Jerusalem. But this new Jerusalem will no longer be ruled by any foreigner. For the king of kings will reign there. And he will reign over us there. This beautiful millennial kingdom. Do you not yearn for it? Even now he has given us this dignity. And he loves us in this way. But now that kingdom where this love will be made perfect. That kingdom is approaching us. It's almost here. Brothers, do not immerse yourself in the anxieties of this world. Other spirits are going to come to you then. Let us think of his eternal kingdom. Let's think of his eternal kingdom. How amazing will this kingdom be? And so I bless you that you would think of this. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, are we not grateful? So confess to one another like this. God, I truly love you. God, I love you. And so once again, confess to God all together like this. God, I love you. There's nothing more grateful than this, amen? This is the most grateful things. And say this also. Lord, thank you for giving me such dignity. I believe in this dignity 100%. Just as all these fruits are so fruitful to those who believe in this dignity, there will be a season for them to offer this fruit to God. So Lord, help us to bear this fruit. Let us pray. Receive the anointing of the millennial kingdom. Lord, before this new kingdom is established, the structures of that new kingdom is it flows beforehand. And so let this anointing of the millennial kingdom flow to us. And let pour out this new anointing now, Lord, of the millennial kingdom. And may that amazing love that you love that you have for us be poured out like waterfalls today. That this amazing dignity, that in faith we would receive how amazing it is. That we would not lose this love or dignity to the insignificant world. If you know the love of God, if you know His dignity, you realize that this world has no value. That there's nothing to tie you to this world. And so to all the saints of Yabang Church and to all the remnants all over the world, officially now, I pray that you would allow them to take hold, claim the millennial kingdom, perfect this anointing in them, 
that they will be separated from this worthless world and be able to have deeper fellowship with you, God. Oh, Lord, we yearn and yearn for you. At this time, pour out the anointing of the Millennial Kingdom that your priestly kings would be called Hepshiba and Beulah at this time. That you are my Hepshiba. You are my Beulah. Lord, anoint us at this time. More, Lord. More anointing, Lord. That all bindings will be loosened at this time. That they will lose anxiety of the world and of the, of the concerns. That they will be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh Lord, pour out the anointing of the Millennial Kingdom. Your perfect love. Your amazing dignity. At this time, that this is everything in our lives. That there's nothing of worth in this world. Pour more of your anointing out. More anointing. Receive it. Receive it and be loosened. Be loosened. Be loosened and be free. Be free. Be free in glory. Oh Lord, come to this place. My God, I praise you. My God, I thank you for your love for me. My God, I thank you for the dignity and honor you have poured out upon us. There is no greater love. There is no greater dignity. Lord, you love us so. And in that love, you have given us this dignity. So we praise your name. We lift your name on high. Get drunk on new wine. Take the new wine. Father, loosen us of all of our bindings. Set us free from all the anxieties of this world. Cleanse us from all the pollutions of this worthless world. Lord, may this purity you have shown us be perfected in us. Pour it out, Lord. Raise up your pure generation. Raise up your pure bride. Pour it out, Lord, more. Pour it out. More powerfully, Lord. More, Lord. Fill them up more. Overflow. More anointing, God. More holiness, Lord, to be that they would be holier, that they would be the pure bride. Lord, at this time, pour out your love. Pour out your love like a waterfall. May that love flood them, deluge them. Lord, pour it out at this time. May your kingdom come upon them. Receive that kingdom, that glorious kingdom. At this time, bring that kingdom here, Lord. That we would not lose ourselves to the world. More, Lord, that they would not fall back in the midst of battle, but that they would look to the kingdom of heaven, marching forward, seeing that in the light of this glory that the world is nothing. That, Lord, you who work for us, you who do not grow tired or weary, we believe that you are working for us, even now working for us. Lord, who has taken hold of us, who is our master, who takes care of us, who watches over us. 
We call upon you and we look to you. Lord who works for us. Lord who loves us. Who loves us. Who always pours out his mercy and love for us. Pour it out more, Lord. Pour it out, Lord, more. More, that more would be loosened. More would be loosened. Pour more anointing out. More, Lord. More, Lord, pour more out. Hallelujah. At this time, God is continually anointing. And there's some of you who constantly have headaches, chronic headaches. Today, that spiritual binding will be loosened. People who are always worried and anxious, especially those of you who cannot sleep well at night, who are always afraid, this spiritual binding must be loosened. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your unending love. And so, because of this love, you have poured out this great dignity that we are all Hepshiba and Beulah. And with this inspiration, until the day of victory, help us to live the life of the conqueror. Receive today's offering, and especially this offering of thanks on this Thanksgiving day. Be pleased with it, Lord. May it be pleasing to you and expand the kingdom of heaven. That may this be a confession of faith and an assurance of faith that they do not live by the things that the world gives, but that they live by the riches of the kingdom of heaven. That whatever they touch, that the king, riches of the kingdom of heaven may unfold. Oh Lord, bless them and bless them. Now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, through the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to the saints who believe in the dignity of Hepsheba and Beulah upon their children, upon their inheritance, upon their business and their work field, upon the church, upon the missions all over the world, upon Zoe ministry. May this blessing rest now and forevermore.